That would have been nice to have my mic going. Anyway, let me start that all over again. Uh, my name is Kevin Lagore. Welcome to Skywatcher USA What's Up webcast. Uh, sorry about that. I had my mic muted. Um, today we have Mike Lockwood from Lockwood Custom Optics. Um, if you've never had the privilege of using one of Mike's mirrors, they are astounding. Um, Mike is really one of the forefront opticians in the hobby. Um, even regret to say the hobby because he's doing a ton of stuff beyond the hobby. Um, but he's making fast optics for Dobsonians, Newtonians, other mirror-based systems, and large apertures as well. So uh, today we're really going to be focusing on if you're looking for a dream system. You want to know where things go beyond what we do here. Mike is the next tier up. Um, so we're excited to have him here today. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and bring him in. If you do have any questions, go ahead and save those to the end. And we'll be happy to get to those later on. So uh, without further ado, let me drag my face off of here and bring Mike in. So uh, and turn your yeah. mic on, of course. Okay. Uh, thanks, Mike, for joining us today. I know you've got a really busy schedule with polishing tons of glass, but uh, we're really pleased to have you here today. Um, how are things going over in Illinois? Um, Illinois is still here. Um, that's about all I can report. That's all we can report. <laughs> um, so I like to start a lot of our webcasts off with really just having it be pretty casual um, because we've all gotten started in this hobby one way or another. So I like to ask every guest we have here, how did you get started in astronomy? Well... I was born and grew up the, for about the first 15 years of my life in northern Michigan. And at that point, it was ridiculously dark. And we had those wonderful uh, Canadian high-pressure systems that would come in in the, in the uh, summertime, mostly. Uh, when they come in in the winter, that it's very cold. But you get really clear skies. You know, you, you, you can kind of see that deep blue hue to the sky, you know, as an astronomer and know that, uh, it's going to be a good night, and we kind of we had that a lot, you know, really clean, really usually often often low humidity air, and so you couldn't help but notice the sky. And at some point when I was growing up, I did, and I decided I needed to learn about it, and that sort of that started things, and then a few small telescopes here and there, and eventually I decided that I wanted something bigger. Uh, but my parents didn't really want to pay for that, uh, so I thought I'd try to grind a mirror, and that started somewhere in the late '80s, roughly. Nice. I'll have to have you. I'll have to have you guess when I actually finished it, <laughs> uh, or we could get to that later on. One of the two. I know mirror making. Um, I have several friends of mine that, um, you know, I'm sure you're familiar with like Mike Spooner and other opticians, their own mirrors. But that's that was really kind of. The, the thought process back then where you know, we're starting to have some of the like the c8 was coming around and all this other stuff was occurring right. but you know you're just getting into the hobby that's at that era that's a lot of money it was a lot easier to make here at that point and grown kind of take the john yeah. dobson mentality yeah and this was probably i think it was sometime after hallie came through and we had a we did get to see it, uh, but it was really low, you know, because I was up north of 45 degrees latitude, 
So as I remember, it was down somewhere Sagittarius or a little bit east of there, if I remember correctly. I may be completely wrong, uh, but I remember just looking low and we could see it as a smudge through the binoculars um, because at that point it didn't have anything better. Um, so yeah, it was at some sometime after that. I don't know if Hallie really uh, caused me to get more interested. I remember being a little bit disappointed at the view, which, you know, that it wasn't a very favorable opposition. Um, but I think that may have given me the idea maybe to do something a little bit larger in the future. Mm -hmm. so started an eight inch mirror kit. Yeah, that's aperture at point. So, um, so having said that, and now that you've kind of established that you're making mirrors, um, now segued into the modern era. Uh, what are you? You I know you've got a bunch of toys laying around at this point. And we all, since we're all astronomers and we all like to kick around, what are you using? Um, what are what scopes are you currently using? Uh, the easiest one for me to set up right now, um, other than just using a straight night vision binocular, uh, is the twenty inch f three, uh, because I can just roll it out and do a quick collimation in about two or three minutes with some good laser tools and then wait for it to get dark. So it's real, real simple. And Hi. that's of course the key to observing a lot is make it easy to do and not a ton of work to get set up and torn down um, because otherwise you just don't want to do that. And then you tend to do other things. Yeah. And that's, you know, we try to tell a lot of people that when you're, when you're trying to get a telescope, if it's going to be too big, cause we all want that big, you know, 30 inch scope, and Mike can definitely attest to when you have the the abilities and the location to support something like that, it's definitely worth having it. But, you know, on a regular night where it's like, I'm going to go look at, you know, the comet, it's like, well, I'm not going to roll this thing out for 30 <laughs> minutes of viewing. So um, I do. I do. I actually, I did roll the 20 inch around the house farther. I took off the wheelbarrow handles and, and then realized the comet was in a good position. So I put them back on really quick. Dragged it across the lawn carefully and slowly and got some views that are actually, uh, I, I took a few photos and they're up on my night vision page. So you can drag a 20 around pretty easy. A 30, it would be a little bit more challenging. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, up to a certain size. If you're clever, uh, like you mentioned uh, when we were just getting ready for the, the uh, webcast here, seeing uh, one of my client's telescopes called Elvira, uh, which has its own transporter that can pick it up and he can just drive it around. It's a motorized wheelchair base, basically adapted to move the telescope. So I hope to see more of that in the future from people, ways to be clever uh, and still be able to, you know, set up and tear down quickly, but also move a 250, 300 pound telescope around, you know, with little effort. We've got the technology. Yeah. And rebuild. Um, yes, we do. <laughs> Uh, if any of you ever have a chance, if you're if you're wondering what about the scope uh, Elvira that uh, Mike's referencing, you can go on like cloudy nights. Uh, the gentleman who built that telescope um, has a whole form on all the, and it's still going because he's still modifying things and doing things to it. But that's a 24 inch, what is it, f 2.75? You got it. And I'm actually, at some point I need to either do an article on it so that he has some sort of fixed reference on on the internet because he doesn't have a web page um and and then pe more people will probably be able to see it because it'll be easy easier to link to and just 
go in directly and read a story as opposed to uh, a, a multi-page thread on cloudy nights. Yeah, with multiple right. thoughts. And, Interrupt, uh, interruptions, <laughs> you know, distractions, segues to other things, and then comes back, yeah. But if you, if you ever get a chance, he comes out to Texas Star, I forgot his name, he's, he's very generous with it. It's Ed, that's right. Ed Allen, yes. He, uh, well, TSP, um, he had a, a big adventure getting there on some really bad roads and had some damage to his truck. Uh, so I'm not sure if he'll be able to do that again, but typically Okie Tech Star Party, and then he's up in Montana. So he will go to some of the Northwest uh, locations and star parties occasionally. But I'll let him, if at some point, uh, I'll let him, you know, uh, somewhere maybe on cloudy nights he can he'll be able to would be willing to talk about his schedule um if you ever get a chance to see it it's a very cool scope um ed's a really great guy he's been really if you're out there on the field and you want to take a look at this just crazy scope um he's he's very generous with it um for anybody who's uh, willing to it, so. it shows what you can do if you think about it and if you have the the knowledge and some skills. Uh, he's an electrical engineer originally, so uh, we have a somewhat similar background, but he actually went in and, and built stuff, uh, whereas I ended up doing a little bit different uh, avenue uh, with uh, with research and then starting optics. Uh, but, you know, it's just great to see all the ideas just come to fruition. He just he just makes it happen, you know, make it so. And, yes. And, and it, it happens. So, uh, He's a, he's a great example of what you can do with a very fast mirror um, in a, you know, very well thought out structure. And there are some other structure builders I'll mention later that are doing a really good job. Um, that's the key for fast optics is put it in a good structure and then enjoy it. Yeah. Um, I know you have another scope we've, we've also seen before. If others haven't seen it, it's a 14 and a half inch F2.5. And this was kind of built on almost a conceptual. Thing first to test the paracor 2 at the time but yeah i think it's actually uh yeah it's sitting mirror, kind of, yeah, on a there. part rack here behind me i might be able to roll up part of it in a little bit but yeah f2.55 uh originally conceived in about 2009 i believe and i called it and the, the name tag's still on it i called it the paracor buster uh, because we wanted to see just how low an f number the new paracor the paracor 2 it was new back then now it's all they produce, uh, how low an F number it would work at. And so uh, if you go look at my Okie Techs, I think it was, it's either 2009 or 2010 uh, article. Uh, you'll see pictures of Al Nagler uh, testing it. And we had a good time uh, just seeing what would happen. And it turns out it works reasonably well, you know, down at that speed. Uh, but I'll use this, this little point to say, this opportunity to say that what I recommend for really high quality observing uh, would be f2.75, 2.8, uh, or slower, uh, just given the limitations of the eyepiece and other things. For night vision, it's a whole, it's a different question. You want to go as fast as you can. And the yeah. f2.55 is the most fun telescope for night vision that I probably have, because it has a huge field of view, and it's the fastest, so it produces the brightest images. Um, and we can go into that more uh, if you want to later on, but I'll, I'll let you get to your other questions. Um, I guess we already did the first one. Um, you started making telescopes on your own in uh, the 80s at this point. Um, when did well, I you? Started, 
I started a mirror in the 80s. Started a mirror. I um, finished it in 2003. There you go. Yeah. There was uh, high school. We, we moved to Cincinnati, uh, and I joined a club there, so I had telescopes to use. And I kept working on it, and it went from something like F8. And finally, when I pulled it out of the box in 2003, when I had some time, it was about F3.9. And that ended up being my first uh, mirror and the first telescope that I built from one of my own. I built a couple before that, a 10-inch and a five and a quarter inch. So when do you get to the point where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm going to start making mirrors from a business standpoint? Because I know as a hobby, you can, mm -hmm. you know, do that really easy. I've got a lot of friends that do it, but there's a teeter point where it's like, okay, I'm making good enough stuff now that yeah, that's it's worth going. You you kind of compare with what's out there, and the I didn't really make as many at first as I did fix them. Uh, so you take a, what you call a professional optic, and you have a look at it, and you say, well, I can do better, and you fix it, and then you maybe do a few more. And then that starts you to think, you know, you start thinking about it a bit and pondering and uh, it just kind of happened, you know, things built up a bit more and more. That's what I was doing in the evenings, uh, working at the university, doing digital signal processing, uh, research during the day. And then I'd come home and work on mirrors or work on telescopes or whatever. Well, um, I know it's someone who works in the telescope industry and I know being one of the more in um, hands-on uh, opticians out there, it's it's really kind of a leap to take a jump into this world because it's kind of small. But I'm glad you're here in the world uh, making these mirrors because it really revolutionized the way we look at big mirrors and telescopes at this point. Making yeah. things that used to be 15 feet tall now. Oh, pint size at that point. So that's. I mean, it's it's all about ergonomics, and it's just like being able to move the telescope. You also have to want to be able to, or you you need to be able to use it in an enjoyable manner, and not have it be an endeavor. And you know, some people don't like ladders at all. Some people don't mind them. Um, it's it's fatiguing though to stand on a ladder, mm -hmm. uh, and you get more quality observing time if you can be standing comfortably or sitting. Uh, depending on the, the size of the telescope, really. But with my 20-inch F3, I can almost sit and observe over the entire sky with a, a good chair. And so that saves a lot of energy at night. Um, people may not real, realize it, but it just makes for a much more enjoyable evening. Um, I know, um, you know at Skywatch, we make a, you know, 16, 18, 20s, and, you know, they're nowhere near as fast, but I've seen, like... 20-inch F3.3 from you, and said earlier, a friend of mine has a 20-inch F3. Same as mine, yeah. yeah. Same class, yeah. So, you know, our for any of you who have seen R16, it's a standard F4.5, as you would expect from a mass production company. They fit their needs, but having a 20-inch scope that's actually shorter than the 16 is freaking awesome yeah. is what it is. Yeah. But... Um, but it it really is impressive how you can go longer in the night and be more comfortable and use your scope more and still get that aperture punch that we all want mm -hmm. when it's easier to take out. Yeah. Big deal. 
So it's also an advantage uh, for those who observe with night vision because it's like a photographic uh, plate, uh, film, or CCD. The faster the uh, system, the faster the image gets bright or the brighter the image if you're viewing in real time like with night vision. So it, it's it was uh you know we didn't even, I didn't even think about that you know back when I started making fast mirrors but now it's become a lot of fun and it's a it's a you know it's another advantage of having a fast optic. Of course, the trade off is uh, the optics cost more because they take more time to make. It's and as simple as that. Now I I think when you start I've I've owned large jobs and I know we talked in the past about large mirrors before and. Eventually, when you and I know you deal with this daily, but you have people calling in where it's like, "This is, this is the dream scope. This is the scope I've worked for for years, and I want to make it all in." So, you know, spending that extra money on those fast optics is this is an investment that's going to hopefully yeah. last you is, years to come. At this, this is my retirement telescope. This is the last telescope I want to build. I want to be able to incorporate everything that I want to do and take it to these places. Yeah, you have a lot of different requests and constraints that people have. And uh, usually there's a way to, uh, sometimes with a creative solution like Ed, sometimes there's a way to uh, satisfy everything. Hmm. Uh, it's, it's really cool what the this new iteration, not even new at this point. I mean, it's an evolution. Has, yeah, this evolution. Really become really a thing, and you're you're not even. I'm seeing older scopes that are f5 and f4. It's kind of like you can get them for a pretty good deal now because there's a lot of people that are shifting over to the faster optics. Yeah, you can, and you know there's still a lot of really good deals to be had there. You know, if you've got a good telescope that's got a good optics that holds collimation, and you don't mind the latter, go for it. Mm -hmm. There's no reason not to. Um, and then you can always, you know, decide to do something else later on. Just depends. Um, was there a point that you found that, cause I know you said the original eight inch was eventually became <laughs> F 3.9. Was there a, a time where you started to dabble more constantly in that, that faster? I know you, not every yeah. one of your mirrors is fast. You lower stuff every now and again, but. I'm working um, on an F 25 doll Kirkham right now. Uh, with a very small there set, very tricky. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, the the point uh, that that sort of changed would be. Uh, I also have to thank Rick Singmaster, who passed away earlier this year, um, because meeting up with him and talking a bit, I started making some faster optics for him. Uh, and back then, it was f three point seven, three point seven five, and you know we used those at Oki Techs. We tested quite a bit with what was then a new eyepiece, the Ethos, the magical 13 millimeter that came out at about the same time. And we realized with, with that and with the new Paracore, we could go faster. And that's when the 20 inch F3 and then the 14 and a half F2.55 were sort of conceived, the 20 inch first. Um, we never did anything that fast uh, for Starmaster. Uh, we stopped it at 3.3. Um, so I've got the only 20-inch F3 Starmaster that exists, um, but it definitely caused us to go faster. Um, and Rick gave me a chance to supply optics for Starmaster, and it worked out extremely well. We I know, I know. At the time, Rick um, stopped making scopes several years ago and retired, and unfortunately passed away this this year. Um, but you're now working with 
we were talking structures earlier, but now you're working with a couple other companies um, that actually supply really good structures to support those optics. Yep. Who are who are you working with now? Yeah, I mostly work with Star Structure. Uh, he's in Florida. He builds aluminum uh, structured uh, alt azimuth Newtonians. I I, I kind of get away from calling those Dobsonians um, because they're, I mean, they're evolving beyond that. Um, and he builds a fantastic structure, makes his own mirror cells, secondary holders. He does it all. And he's a very skilled metal fabricator. He's, a, he's an amateur astronomer, too, and does a fantastic job. Um, for wood structures, I worked with John Pratt for quite a while. He's, he's sort of trying to enjoy his retirement a bit more because he got quite busy in his retirement just building telescopes. Um, so he's not really taking too many orders at the moment. Um, he's got other projects to finish up um, that he wants to do. Um, and also work a bit with uh, Spica Eyes, uh, Tom Ozapowski. Depending on what sort of design and drive system people want, he has a very interesting offering um, out there. Um, and he also makes, of course, equatorial platforms. Um, so people have their own preference on how they want a drive system to be implemented, whether you want none or a push, a slip clutch like Tom does, or the full servo cap like Star Structure does, where uh, that sends it everywhere. You can unclutch it, but um, that mostly moves the telescope. So lots of different choices. Um, and the main difference I'd say is uh, Mike's, Mike Zamet from Star Structure, his telescopes are built uh, for, let's just say East Coast climates, because he's in Florida. And I mean, places that have dew, uh, because that's a consideration for the really minimal telescopes that don't have a whole lot around the optics. And out West, that's more popular because in a lot of places there isn't dew, um, but here East of the Mississippi, <laughs> There pretty much is just about everywhere on just about every night. So you have to be uh, conscious of that. So he kind of, you know, builds things a little bit. Uh, there's a little more structure and there's a little bit more to the mirror box and those sorts of things. I know um, being out here in Arizona, um, obviously not right now, you can't go see it. But if you guys actually want to see one of Mike's mirrors and a star structure structure, um, Lowell Observatory just put one in in their new facility. Um, that you can go and actually use on any given clear night when they're open for business. Obviously, here at the end of the world right now, that's not a thing. Um, but it's a 32-inch F3? Yeah, 32-inch F3 with quartz optics uh, done by Star Structure. And I also have to mention uh, New Moon Telescopes. They're building a little bit different style of wood telescope. Um, some people kind of prefer that. Um, again, you know, you have to go... It's best to go to a star party or go to some gathering where you can see a bunch of these things. And if the owners will let you move them around and use them and see what you like and what you don't like, then that's a, a really good way to, to make a decision for that. I know that's um, anybody who's ever, I know there's a lot of people watching right now or, and this is recorded. So if you're ever watching this again, um, if you're ever in the arena of wanting to get into these custom jobs, like, 20 inch bigger and you're not sure you've never seen one um it's a really good idea to go to like mike said go to a star party and wander around and check them out because this is a it's a big investment that you're going to be doing and it's definitely worth taking the time to ask owners questions and emailing people and getting a feel for it because it's one thing to see pictures online but it's a whole thing to get out there and utilizing it 
So that's. I will. I will also use that as a segue to mention that I have a client uh, in Australia, and he actually came to the Winter Star Party uh, to see some telescopes that had my optics in them and to see some different structures. And of course, in Australia, uh, the main telescope builder there would be SDM Telescopes. That's Peter Reed, and the SDM stands for Size Does Matter. <laughs> so he builds a, a wonderful instrument. So if there's anyone watching down there that hasn't uh, seen one of his, uh, you should try to do that at some point uh, when it's possible to travel to an event. Um, and those are those are the major structure builders that I've done the most work with, um, and they've all uh tried to you know improve their products and evolve and continue to evolve that's the key if you just kind of stay static then you know other things come along and people will find improvements uh and you kind of get left behind yeah especially with this era um where you definitely see it where a lot of people are moving to that faster optical design so really want to kind of keep up with the joneses on it because if you don't someone else like mike said is going to figure that out and yeah and i've been a big crusader for optical support the quality of the optical supports the mirror cells are really important because a lot of times what i would see other than a big collimation error the biggest problem with certain amateur telescopes would be the way the mirror was supported and it's a little bit selfish because i don't want to get blamed for that um, you know, when you, when you're physically bending the mirror with the mirror cell, that's bad. Uh, it's not the optician's fault. It's the, the, uh, cell and the structure's fault. So I've done a lot of work trying to help people, uh, improve those and written articles on it. And, uh, a number of manufacturers have changed some things. Uh, and it's really helped out a lot, especially with thinner mirrors, uh, which is another thing that I like to do because cooling is, if you've got everything else right, if you've got good optics, if you've got a good structure and good collimation, then generally cooling the mirror is the biggest uh, obstacle in the way of good performance. And that's what limits professional telescopes a lot of times. So they spend a lot of money on environmental, environmental controls and other systems to cool off the optics. So a thinner mirror has less mass and it actually cools Let's say you have a mirror that's half as thick as another one. That mirror is going to cool about four times as fast. Um, and that is a big deal uh, in places where the temperature drops really quickly. I know you're you're working with different substrates, too. And one you mentioned earlier was quartz. And I know everyone's familiar with Pyrex and borosilicate and stuff like that. But um, what is your thought on quartz? And then, of course, you kind of level up on top of that. and You get to the more exotic zero expansion like zero order and um, other optical uh, materials, but what's your thought for those who might not know on here between the different options you can make a mirror out of? Uh, the, the Pyrex and the Supermax that we have, if, if it's actually that material, makes a great mirror um, and it's reasonably priced. Now there are a number of glasses that uh, are lower quality that are out there in the market now in the mass uh, produced telescopes. And we don't know what kind of glass those are made from. Uh, and a lot of times the glass can have uh, annealing issues, uh, meaning it's got internal stress and it might change shape or do some funny things as it cools off. So generally I avoid that and I stick with Pyrex or Supermax. They're somewhat equivalent. One's made by uh, shot and the other one was made by Corning and they still make some of it in certain forms. Um, and those are a standard borosilicate. That's the type of the glass. 
And it does chain shape a bit as it cools. It's got a coefficient of expansion um, that is about six times larger than quartz. So if you have the same mirror, uh, it's more of a consideration for astrographs, really, usually, because the focus position will shift, because the mirror literally shrinks uh, as it cools off at night. So the mirror gets a little bit smaller and the focal length gets a little bit shorter. Um, but as they're cooling pretty quickly, uh, Pyrex and Supermax are going to distort a bit more temporarily uh, than quartz will as it cools off. Now. If that's happening, you've got a big temperature swing, you're probably not going to have great seeing or great performance anyways. So it depends on, it depends heavily on the user and what they're doing with it in their environment. Um, quartz is a really nice material. It costs a bit more. Um, it's not really much different structurally. That gets exaggerated a lot. Uh, it's mostly the thermal performance um, when it's cooling off. That, that is the advantage of quartz. Now, when if you have an environment where everything's in equilibrium, everything's the same temperature, like the Florida Keys where they have the winter star party, the temperature kind of drops to about 70 degrees at night and just stays there. Uh, then everything gets equilibrated and the glass type doesn't matter at all at that point, as long as you're cooling the same manner. So it's only during that transition point, but if you've got a huge temperature change all night, uh, quartz will help a bit. Um, and for stability for uh, astrophotography, it's uh, it's very helpful. Now the higher dollar stuff, zero dir. Uh, I don't really see a whole lot of a lot of reason for the typical amateur astronomer to go go to the expense of it, or clear ceram or ULE or anything like that. It's vastly more expensive. Uh, I think quartz is by far the best bang for the buck for people that want something a little bit better than Pyrex or Supermax. That would be, I guess that brings up a good uh, bullet point is if you are looking at these scopes or looking at having something like this made, um, knowing your environment, your observing conditions you're working in, going to be something that's, that's going to really depict on that's worth the investment of that higher end material or not for. Yeah. So. yeah. And, you know, it depends on a bit what you enjoy observing. If you, if you really want to go as faint as possible and that's where your budget's going, then you can get a bit larger mirror out of Pyrex or Supermax. Yeah. If the money's not really an issue, uh, then you just, we just go with quartz if possible, if it's available mm -hmm. in the particular dimension that's required. And I can get quartz up to about 42 inches in diameter right now for reasonable pricing. They're, to go larger, it gets custom and it gets very expensive very quickly for all of the operations, but it's still possible to do. Um, one big thing that I see a lot um, is there's a lot of common misconceptions about faster optics. Um, uh, you know, one of those is because it is a faster telescope, you obviously need a larger secondary, therefore reducing contrast. And then of course, the second uh, argument that comes from it is, oh, it's faster, it's really hard to collimate. Um, what are your thoughts on all those? Because I know you've got, if you have written articles on your website that actually depict all this in detail. We'll talk a bit about it. Yeah, collimation, uh, I use a Howie Gladder uh, laser, uh, just a simple red dot to collimate the secondary in my 20 inch F3. Um, when I roll it out, it's usually not that far off. That takes about a minute. Uh, and then I pop in the tube lug and pop that in the focuser and squat down and get behind the telescope and turn the collimation knobs a little bit. And that takes about 
a minute and then I observe. And if it's an exceptional night, I may do a tiny little tweak at some point because um, that structure may shift a little bit. And I just do that with a, a star test, just defocusing a star. Um, I kind of go over that in one article. And with all of that, you know, spending five minutes, um, I get excellent performance. So collimation uh, with the proper tools of a fast telescope or just knowing what you, what you need to do with a star test, um, it's really not difficult once you learn it and it takes very little time. So it is easier to collimate uh, a, a slower telescope because you have a bigger tolerance, but the the job for at F3 or even faster is, is it's quite doable. If anyone tells you it can't be done, then they're just wrong. It, it's, you know, we I've done it hundreds and hundreds of times and so have my clients. Yeah, it's all so, just about having the good column. And I know earlier you mentioned having a good structure to support it is a big, uh, for that yeah we're raising the standards a little bit on on the actual physical construction of the telescope and the collimation tools um, but that makes it completely attainable completely doable um, i don't see distorted stars i don't see coma um, in images in the center of the field um, and you know there's it, it basically in terms of tolerance uh i can't if you can't see it on a given night then it doesn't matter because you're usually seeing limited anyways. So once you get to a point where you're better than the seeing, go enjoy your telescope. Yep. Uh, as for the secondary size, the, the faster scopes do require a larger secondary. But typically, um, in the sizes that I work in, which is usually 14 to 16 inches and up, uh, it's below 25% uh, obstruction. So my 20-inch F3, the secondary is probably a little bit small. I should probably go up to a 5-inch, and that's 25% obstruction. And the difference between that and a very small obstruction, in the grand scheme of things, at a 20-inch aperture, uh, it's extremely hard to notice. And if you have a problem with it, then just build a 22-inch telescope instead, and it'll outperform uh, a 20-inch that's nearly unobstructed. So just a different way of thinking about things. Mm -hmm. um, as for the optical quality of the mirror, uh, you still want the mirror to be just about as good, uh, peak to valley. Uh, and slope error, uh, keeping that quite low. As a, as a slower mirror, it just takes more time. Uh, but we've compared, you know, different F numbers at the same aperture. And if they're in the same location on the same night and they cool about the same, all the performance is about the same. And then you notice that people are using the shorter telescope more because they don't have to climb a ladder. It's just yep. funny yep. how that works out. Yeah. You've ever been to Texas Star Party or any of these big star parties and you've climbed a ladder to a 30-inch F5 or a 36-inch F5 in the middle of the night when you're kind of out of it? Mm -hmm. It's a freaky experience. In the, so. in the dark, uh, possibly in the wind, and, you know, it's, uh, well, I choose life. So <laughs> I'm going to try to stay a little bit closer to the ground. So yeah. uh, that's, just my, that's just my thought on it. Some people love it. Um, and there it's, are a lot of great larger telescopes that people have fun with, but um, it's all about you enjoying it at the end of the day. It's all about enjoying the experience, and you spend less time moving a ladder around, going up and down it. I mean, waiting for other, if there's a line, it really adds time to the observing. Is waiting for ten people to go up and down a significant ladder, and they may not be used to it, and it may take them quite a while because they are freaked out by that ladder in the dark. Mm -hmm. So it it takes more time than you realize. Um. So you working on all these mirrors, working with all these clients, is there, and if someone's like, well, 
if anybody's watching and they're looking to be like, okay, I'm willing to make the jump to, you know, handmade. This is my dream scope. Um, is there like an aperture size, you know, F ratio? Is there like a sweet spot that you find a lot of customers for you tend to gravitate? We with Star with Star Master, uh, we kind of gravitated towards F three point three as the fastest. And I think that's actually now the slowest usually that Mike Zamet from Star Structure will build uh, because his structure works best at F3.3 and slightly faster. So we do a lot of F3 and F3.3. So I'd say in that range, um, there are also some, you know, F3.7 is a good, a good spot to be as well, depending on the, the height of the telescope. A 16-inch F3.7 is just wonderful uh, for portability, for what you can see. Uh, for speed, if you want to use some night vision with it, uh, that's a nice spot. 24-inch F3, 20-inch F3 or 3.3 is also a feet-on-the-ground telescope, uh, as uh, our common friend Mike has talked about. Um, and then larger than that, F3.3 and maybe a little bit faster. 30-inch F3 has turned out to be pretty popular. We've had a number of astronomy clubs that have purchased those uh, from, from me and from Star Structure as well. And those are an incredible instrument. 90 inch focal length, uh, eyepiece height, maybe a little bit below that. Um, so just a few steps up, great for all ages to be able to go view with safely. That's a big thing when you're doing outreach. So that's, you want to really blow people away or all that when you're using a big job like that. Um, that's what the uh, Oklahoma City Astronomy Club purchased was a 30 inch F3. Um, and they, they're the ones that put on Okitex, which is a star party that I attend regularly. Um, unfortunately, it's canceled this year. Too bad. But, um, it's, great for, it's great for outreach. And there's, that's a lot of aperture. You can show people a lot of things. You did, a, you did one for the Tucson uh, Amateur Astronomy Association. Well, I think that's 40. Mm -hmm. Yes, 40. One meter uh, at that point. Just a little bit over a meter at uh, 3.75. Uh, and then I did another for that. It was it was going to be the same, but it ended up we ended up uh, bumping it down to f three point five. Another forty inch f three point five. Um, yeah, a little bit short ladder. What's the biggest mirror you actually can make? Because I know there's probably people watching that you know we're talking about serious size telescopes, but what is like the biggest thing that you produce? Uh, right now, uh, I could probably fit a sixty inch on the machine without modifying it, uh, but I can modify the machine and fit probably significantly larger than that, you know, 70, a little bit over. Uh, then it comes down to how big of a door do you have uh, and practical considerations like that. How much spacing is there between the posts that hold up the, the, the ceiling of the shop back here? Um, things like that. And how much weight can you move around? That's, yeah, because I, I know you've got a cool little, like, jig where you can push something out from that and then hold it up to do testing um, on that as well. So yeah, that's... different stands. Yeah. And then you can see off in that direction back there, that's a one ton gantry crane that my thumb is right, right about there. That, that red thing that rolls around. Uh, sorry, I'm watching the reversed image for the webcast above and I'm trying to point. Um, and that's been used to lift and move uh, 50 inches that I've done that have been fairly thick, you know, 1200 pounds of fun. Um, so I know we're getting close to that 15 minute mark at the end. So I'm going to just jump to the last question here and then we'll open it up to the 
way and that way we can keep our window um for someone who wants to get into making their own mirrors what would you what kind of tips would you give someone who wanted to start polishing their own glass uh have a mentor that's done it before have them that you can actually visit or video chat with uh, because it helps for them to be able to check out uh in particular pitch laps things like that uh it's hard to it's hard to tell what's going on uh over the internet or over the phone um so have a have one mentor this is what i see a lot of people get into on like cloudy nights where they'll be taking advice from four different people who use four different processes and then the result is confusion and then they just want to go drink a case of beer uh, because they can't figure out what's going on so have one person that's done it before if possible uh teach you in person and don't start too small don't start too big a six or eight inch is probably about the right size because a four inch is actually harder to hold and move around yeah those are the main tips from that i would give nice oh that's always wanted to do my own mirrors but i i such a i'm such a visual person i would need someone to like hold my hand that process i know eventually you get yep. it down but in one of these days mm -hmm. yeah find find someone locally we used to do this in my basement back when i was still you know kind of an advanced amateur and kind of learning um just have some friends over and work on a bunch of different things and find a group like that okay so uh we're gonna open this up to questions now so if you guys watching have anything you'd like to ask mike um go ahead and uh, write that up in the chat and then that up going um i know one of the first questions we have um how to get let's see this comes from nicole uh how to get good details of distant galaxies and faster optics because wide field um well uh a lot of people a lot of my clients i find uh with good optics don't use enough magnification and that's probably the biggest mistake that they make. They never really fully exploit their optics. So you've got to push up the power. That's, it, you're kind of, you can't change anything else. Uh, and that'll help darken the background a little bit and make things a little bit easier to see and make them larger. And then your sure. eye will detect those more readily. And, you know, the best way to see a galaxy is with a bigger telescope, as I like to say also. And that's... You know, there's you can get a lot of really nice, high quality eyepieces nowadays that have higher magnifications. I know a lot of people I talk to with these scopes, and I'm sure a lot of Mike's clients are using a lot of the Teleview Ethos at this point, um, and the Delos, and those go yep. all the way down to like three five, three point seven millimeter, yep. depending. Um, and then there's a go, and the Delights as well. They also work with fast uh, optics very, very well. So yeah, if you're if you want to get more detail, obviously dark skies help, bigger telescope helps, but don't be afraid to push that magnification. The nights were awesome. Um, oh, real quick, I'm just gonna glide this over, Mike, real quick. This is a picture right here of Mike's yeah. 14 point, uh, 14 and a half, uh, 2.55. Um, I mean, no, he's got a picture of the 20 inch f3 there you go that gives you an idea of how tiny this little um 
set it up on a stand to use it comfortably. Yeah, but it works really well in that configuration. Get one more. That would be. Um, be a the twenty-inch f three is in the in the photo that you used for the title frame. Yes, yeah, in the title frame, um, you guys will see Mike stand next to his twenty-inch f three. There are pictures on his website. Uh, we already put the link for Mike's website down below in the description of this video. So if you're if you're watching it live or if you're watching this recorded, you can go down. It's uh, loptics.com. So check that out. Um, next question for Mike is, has the pandemic caused you to your wait time to be longer? And this comes from hmm. Big Gundy. Um... It's probably about the same, actually, uh, because I was able to work a little more, get some things done. Um, but then recently I've gotten some orders that have come in. Um, so it's probably pretty similar to what it was. Yeah. What is your typical wait time roughly at the uh, Right now for smaller mirrors, probably starting at about six months for larger ones going up to 10, 11, depending on how large. So there's a. There's, there's, I've always had a, had a backlog. Um, it's hard to, it, it's difficult to catch up because I do custom stuff. So you can't have these things in stock. Uh, usually I do have some mirrors in stock here and there. Um, but mostly people want what they want. Uh, and that's why they come to me. So it takes time to get glass and then it takes time to do the work and then it takes time to get it coated and shipped. So it's difficult to get it down too low since I don't want to, I don't need to go into another career and do coding right now, um, maybe someday, but I'd rather have someone else do that that specializes in that. Um, so it's, it's hard to finish off a mirror in much less than several months, unless I just happen to have something partly done. And that's yeah. actually, I think that happened for, for Mike in his 20 inch F3. Lucked out. He lucked out, yep. And I was able to finish it in, a, in an open time slot. I know that's a, uh, you know, I know we're Skywatcher and we're doing that. We're we're a very different business model from Mike. But if you are getting into the level of where Mike produces things, um, this isn't I'm gonna call Amazon and have it in two days. Like this is something you're investing in. It's gonna take time to perfect it. That's what you're getting. So if you are thinking of getting scopes at this level and ordering from Mike or any custom optician. Please keep that in mind. Um, I've seen a lot of people on forums who are like, it's taking forever. It's like, well, yeah, because there's none other one like it. So just know so what you're getting yourself into. Everything's built the way that, that they want it. And yeah, it takes time to do that right. You're commissioning a telescope at this point. You're not buying yeah. a telescope. at this point. Yeah. And I liked what you said earlier on about, you know, I mean, telescope building and making optics. It's, it's, it's kind of an artistic thing. I used to do some art and I enjoyed that, but don't really get to do that anymore except for photography. So it's somewhat is you have to get a feel for things. Um, and there's a little bit of, well, it's experience and practice and that sort of thing uh, that goes into it. I know, um, like I said, being friends with uh, Mike Spooner, who's another optician. I know he's not doing a lot right now, but um, you kind of figure out what you like to work with and what you're comfortable with. I know you're really good with these, you know, 14 plus real fast. Not that you won't do smaller stuff because I've seen smaller stuff on your site occasionally. Um, but you kind of figure out what works for you. Right. 
Yeah, it also is what sort of stuff you have on hand and what sort of machines you have um, and what sort of space you have, you know, for testing. That's a big thing that I don't think a lot of people understand. Um, you know, we have people call up Skywatcher and they're like, hey, I want you to make this. We're not set up for that. We have machines that are made to make the scopes that you see and that's what they're made to do where Mike is equipped to make different things. So just because someone makes optics doesn't mean they're set up with the machines to handle these different optical systems. Yeah, and I don't do a lot of uh, production work. I mean, at some point it'd be interesting to have that uh, as you know part of the business. Uh, so everything, every time I do a different mirror, uh, I have to use a different tool, have to set it up, um, make the polishing laps for it. So you try to you try to group things if you've got similar mirrors and do them about the same time, because it'll help speed things up a little bit. But uh, there's only so much you can do. Um, and when you've got a, a large mirror and you need to set up a, a test path for it, that takes up a lot of the shop. You know, you end up moving things, moving things to move things, as I say. Uh, yeah. And, you know, there there are limits to that. So uh, instead of making, you know, 50 of the same mirror, I'd like to make two uh, yeah. similar. Um, Just make the effort of going through the setup. Yep. Different, different business models. But, you know, I'm... I'm a one-man shop with an occasional helper, uh, so that's what I do. Um, next question comes from Jeff. How much time does it take to make a 16-inch mirror? Uh, depends on the F number. Um, uh, in terms of hours or elapsed time, um, tough to say. Hour-wise, mm, probably a good week and a half depending on the F number, a little more, a little less, and depending on what, uh, but that's not, you're not going to finish that in a week and a half. It's going to be spread out mm -hmm. uh, because there are other things in between there and you're always working on something else kind of in parallel. Um, so roughly, uh, you know, probably 60 hours. It, it depends. Uh, that's just, that's just a, that's just a guesstimate off the top of my head. Even and, though I try to keep track. And then you, you know, factoring in what are you what's the material do you have it on hand how long yeah. it's going to be that so that all affects order a mirror from mike that's all affected by that's why i list you know sometimes i list what some of the mirror blanks i have on hand that are you know kind of ready to to start work if i did have another similar one i would try to run two through the process you know kind of uh, kind of usually serially not at the same time because um, you need duplicate tooling and stuff but if you plan uh, carefully, uh, or it, you know, spend a little time planning, then you can usually save a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. uh, anybody has other questions? Uh, we only got a couple minutes left, but the last one I'm seeing here is from Jerry. Uh, what are your thoughts on active cooling of meters? Um, well, I wonder what he meant by active cooling, because active cooling it technically is a fan. Um, if, if he's talking about attaching a heat sink, uh, to a mirror, then that can cause a lot of problems and even break glass in extreme cases. Um, but pretty much all, every telescope, uh, that my clients put my optics in has some sort of fan, which is active cooling. So it's necessary. Um, ideally you cool the front and the back of the mirror with a fan. 
um, as uniformly as possible, because like I've said earlier on in the webcast, the thermal uh, performance, the thermal issues are what are going to limit your performance the most if you don't have other other issues in the system. So very important. Well, um, another quick question from Jeff. Uh, how much does your 14 and a half and 20 inch weigh? Uh, the whole structure? Yeah, the whole assembled. Uh, uh, 14 and a half. I don't know. I can pick it up and carry it around. The total is probably maybe 50 pounds. It's built pretty stoutly. Um, that's just a guess. Um, I'd have to put it on a scale, maybe 60. Um, but it's, I can pick up the OTA and carry it. Probably 40 to 60. Uh, the 20-inch F3, um, it, it rolls on wheelbarrow handles, so I'm going to guess it's 150 pounds maybe. Uh, with I know the it's whole a structure. truss, truss yeah. anyway, so you'd break yeah, it apart if you're really traveling. Yeah, the heaviest component is the mirror cell with the mirror in it, and that's probably, oh, it's a thin mirror. I'm going to guess 40 pounds. Um, the mirror, I think, itself is about 30. It's it's an inch and a quarter thick Pyrex plank. So, uh, well, the other, I'll point out right there that a lot of the two-inch thick mirrors that are out there, kind of the traditional thickness, um, for me, they're just too thick. Uh, it's just unnecessary. So a 20-inch that's two inches thick is heavy uh a 24 inch that's two inches thick is really heavy uh but if you thin those down a bit they get a bit more manageable uh, and it's safer to handle them too and of course they cool a lot faster because your so. your average 20 that i've seen you make is like an inch quarter edge i like about 1.3 to 1.4 inches in a 20 inch size yeah mine is an inch and a quarter the 20 inch f3 that i did uh for myself 10 years ago uh, because I have, I still have a few of those blanks left, actually, uh, but they're challenging. You have, it takes some extra time because they're so thin in order to avoid astigmatism and keep an eye on things. But uh, when you can just pick them up really easily, it's so nice, and they cool very quickly. I actually don't have fans on my uh, Starmaster. I should. I just haven't had time to put them in. But I live in Central Illinois, so you know I'm out here in the prairie. Usually there's a breeze, and so that helps quite a bit. Or I can set up a box fan or something if I really need to. Very cool. Um, I think that pretty much wraps up all the questions. If you guys have questions and we didn't get to them or something pops up into your head and it's directly for Mike, um, you can always visit his website, which is www.loptics.com. Um, if you want to see what he has in stock, it's up there. If you want to read his articles, which are really informative, if you're looking to do testing or pretty much anything, there's a of them up there it's actually fun to read mike's um excursions around the world too um with uh, clients so you can check that out um and that link to his yeah. website is below so i would i would have to i would have to say that the one thing i probably ought to mention is i didn't expect you know when i started this but to be able to go and visit uh people in different countries amateur astronomers and see how they observe and observe with them and see a little bit how they live has been kind of a the unexpected bonus of what I do. So I want to thank them for, for hosting me in the past and putting up with me. And we've had some great observing, some great beer, and some uh, some really good times. And I look forward to that in the future when uh, we can actually travel again. Yeah. Well, 
Mike, thank you very much for taking the time. I know you're extremely you. busy doing what you do. You. Um, I will say right now what I'm doing is about ready to paint some stuff. So I'm get got some new space that I've been working on for the shop for a while. So I'm going to go prep for painting and paint some ceiling fans and all kinds of uh, walls and stuff uh, in the next few days. And then be able to use the space. Go well. Now you're opening up more, can hold more glass, and move to the next here at that point. So I don't have to move stuff to move stuff. There you go. <laughs> I think everyone who uses telescopes or works on telescopes know how that is. I know if you could see everything beyond this frame is a disaster. Uh, um, but for, yeah. for optics, it, it really pays to be able to set certain things up and not touch them for a year because then you can use the same test setup. And that's what I'm trying to get to. So it'll save me some time and make me a little more, more productive. Very cool. Well, um, that does it for today, guys. Thank you very much for watching. Uh, like I said, if you have any questions for Mike, you can go to his website, www.loptics.com. All the information you could ever want to know is up there. Um, it's really cool. He actually keeps a history of all the different projects for most of the projects up there. So you can see all the different optics that have been done. Um, if you have questions on any of his mirrors uh, or any of his work, please uh, email him directly. Um, and then if there's a topic that you want us to cover in the future, you can email skywatcher at support at skywatcherusa.com. Um, and if you wanted to see what's going on on the webcast moving forward, uh, you can always subscribe to this channel, which I know is the most YouTube thing on earth, but hey, that's uh, how YouTube works. Um, but thank you all very much. Uh, Mike, thank you again, and I hope you have a great weekend. And um, there's guys, everybody. We'll see you next week. 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 Guys, everybody.